In uh, January 1982, a pilot was flying over the mountains of Colorado in the United States uh, when he noticed some flashes of light uh, coming from a darkened pass below. Uh, three short flashes, long, uh, three long flashes, and then sh three short again. Um, I'm sure you all will know that what well, that pilot did, that it was an SOS signal. And he alerted the uh, mountain rescue, and the mountain rescue made their way up to the 10,000-foot mountain pass uh, in sub-zero temperatures, uh, where they found a 30-year-old man called Alan Lee Phillips. Uh, he was stuck in a snowdrift, but he was alive. Uh, and the tale of his astonishing rescue made... Uh, national headlines uh, back in the 80s. I don't know what you feel when you hear that story. You probably think, oh, how wonderful. Uh, a man who was doomed uh, with no prospect of being saved was rescued. And isn't that a heartwarming and lovely story? Well, fast forward about 30 years to uh, 2021. In fact, it's about 40 years, isn't it? Uh, where police detectives were investigating the murder of two hitchhikers in January 1982. Uh, using recent uh, genetic technology and DNA found at the scene of the two murders, police were led to a suspect, and the suspect was Alan Lee Phillips. It's interesting how that new information changes the story isn't it? Uh, the joy that I'm sure we all felt at the rescue of a fellow human being, the empathy we felt with uh, how awful it must be to be trapped in a snowdrift without any prospect of help and to be saved, uh, the joy and the, uh, the feeling of goodwill that we had is suddenly changed to anger when we understand that a murderer was saved when his victims were not now, I want you to keep that story in your mind, because uh, I'm going to come back to it uh, a little bit later, uh, as we are looking at uh, this third way uh, that Christmas is good news, or the message of Christmas is good news. Uh, we saw first, about two, three weeks ago, uh, that Christmas, Christmas message is good news because it teaches us that God keeps his promises. He promised that a saviour would be born, a child would be born many thousands of years ago. And Christmas shows us that he has kept his promise. Uh, there is hope because God is a God who keeps his promises. That's the first reason that Christmas is good news. Uh, the second reason last week uh, was that the message is a universal message. No one is excluded from it. If you are living and you are breathing, then you are included in the offer uh, of the good news. Uh, you are offered the wonderful gift that God offers. It is yours. If you are a human being, it is for you. That's the second reason that the good news is so good. Uh, but this morning I want to look at a third reason. Uh, the angel said, unto you is born this day a saviour. Third reason the Christmas message is such good news is because it teaches us that there is a saviour. We can be saved. Uh, 
But you might think, but what do we need to be saved from? I look at you all this morning and you all look fairly comfortable, fairly comfortable. Uh, you don't seem like you're in any imminent danger. And yet, the angel said to the shepherds, unto you is born a saviour. What does that mean? What does it mean that Christ is the saviour of the world? Well, I'd like to look at what that means uh, in more detail uh, this morning. And I want to look at it in three different ways. And the first way is perhaps a way which is largely ignored, uh, one which we don't mention so much. And it comes from the words we read a few moments ago in Luke chapter 1, in the words of Zechariah. Let me read some of his words again. Uh, When Zechariah finally is able to speak again after uh, submitting to the angel's words, listen to what he says in verse 68. He says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. So the first thing, based on Zacharias' words in Scripture, is that Jesus saves us from our enemies. You saw it there in black and white. Now, obviously, uh, Zacharias was a Jew. He was a priest, no less, in the temple. And the Jewish people uh, were being oppressed, as they have been oppressed uh, throughout human history, even to this day. But God bestowed his favor on the Jewish nation. Uh, He chose Abraham from all nations of the world, and he promised to bless them. And he promised them a saviour who would rescue them from all who sought to destroy them. Uh, Tragically, uh, the Jewish nation as a whole uh, rejected their Messiah, uh, at least for now. But because they rejected the message, the good news has come to us. Uh, That favour that God bestowed on them also comes to us, to anyone who believes, no matter what your ethnicity uh, or who you are. Uh, You can take part in the favour that God bestows. As the angel said to the shepherds, this is peace on earth, goodwill to men, to all men, to all people. All of us can become a part of the family of God. And when you become a part of the family of God, you have the protection of your heavenly Father. Uh, God watches you in a special way as a father cares for his child. You might ask, well, what does that mean? What does that mean in practice? Does that mean that we will never suffer any pain? Does that mean we will never go through any hardship because God's favour is upon us if we are a believer, if 
we are trusting in Christ. Does this mean that no hardship will ever come upon me? Well, clearly that's not the case, as I'm sure everyone who's a believer here this morning can testify. Uh, We are not invulnerable to harm just because we are members of God's family. Christians have been persecuted and killed throughout history. So what does it mean? What does it mean to enjoy the favour of God, to be protected by God's hands? I don't know uh, who has hurt you uh, this morning, not necessarily this morning, but what hurt you are feeling this morning. Uh, Perhaps you have been abused uh, in the past. Uh, Perhaps you've been the victim of a terrible injustice of one sort or another. Well, know this. The Bible teaches uh, that if you are a believer, anyone who touches you, uh, anyone who hurts you, the Bible says, touches the apple of God's eye. And you know what that means? You know the apple, the, the circular bit of your eye, in your eye? Uh, If someone tries to poke that, what do you do? You blink pretty quickly because you protect your eye instinctively, reflexively. You almost don't think about it because our eyes are so precious. And that's the attitude God has towards his children. He protects us reflexively. He loves us reflexively. And what that means is that when people hurt us, whether that's verbally, physically, or in whatever other way, we don't need to fret. God will deal with it. The book of Psalms says that every tear is recorded in God's bottle. Uh, It's as if he collects our tears and he remembers, he knows every pain and every heartache. Now, he might deal with our hurt, through the authorities that exist. The Bible makes very clear that God has ordained for them to be powers that be. And that if someone is breaking the law against us or against someone else, then we should use the authorities that God has put in place. But tragically, of course, that's not always possible. Some things lie outside the scope of law. Uh, sometimes the law isn't what it should be. Nevertheless, God says, I have it under control. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, Christ is the king, and one day, he says, he will make all things new. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more pain. What this means is we are free to live without bitterness. If we're trusting in Christ, we don't need to harbor resentment. We don't need to hold grudges. We don't need to live warped and twisted and bitter because of the things that have happened to us. Because we know that our Heavenly Father has it under control. And no one will ever get away with anything. Either they will have to pay for it themselves 
in ways more horrific than we can imagine, or Christ will have paid for it on the cross when he died for the sins of all who would trust in him. And that should free us. That should free us, if you like, from our enemies. It gives us the freedom to love. It gives us the freedom to forgive. As Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those that hurt you. It's not saying what they do doesn't matter. It's not saying that abuse and hurt are good and you don't need to worry about them. It's that we don't need to be bitter about such things because God has it under his control. And Jesus, that baby born in the manger, is the king who will one day right every wrong. That's the first way Jesus saves us. He saves us from our enemies, as Zacharias said in his Holy Spirit-inspired words. But that's not all. Uh, There's more to Christ's salvation. Uh, Remember, again, the story uh, of Alan Lee Phillips. Uh, There's more to salvation than simply being saved from our enemies, whether they be physical enemies or metaphysical enemies like the weather or death itself. Uh, Let's move on to the angel's words to Joseph uh, back in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, In Matthew chapter 1, do you remember what the angel said To Joseph, Uh, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus will save his people from their enemies, but here the angel says, God will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves or Jehovah saves. That's what the name Jesus means. And God knows that actually our biggest problem is not our enemies. Uh, Whether, again, as I say, those be physical enemies like all the people who hate us, or metaphysical enemies like uh, natural disasters, sickness, and death itself. Uh, The Bible knows that our biggest problem doesn't lie outside of us. That is a problem, to be sure. Uh, Enemies are a problem. But our biggest, biggest problem lies inside of us, in our sin. Uh, We're rightly concerned, aren't we, about diseases uh, like cancer and other uh, severe uh, sicknesses. Uh, We fear them. Uh, We seek to avoid such things. But the effects of sin, the Bible says, are more far-reaching than any cancer or any other disease. Uh, Sin itself warps our lives. Uh, It makes us twisted and evil. Uh, It makes us jealous, crude, manipulative, cynical, discontent, greedy. All these things are the result of sin in our lives. All these things are sin 
in our lives. It warps our relationships. Uh, Look at any bad relationship that you have experienced or are experiencing, and you won't have to look far to see that sin is lying somewhere at the bottom. Selfishness, arrogance, pride, lust. All these things are deep within us, and they infect and affect all the people around us. And the Bible says you cannot save yourself. You cannot, by force of will, change yourself. Now, the mantra today is uh, be true to yourself, isn't it? You see it everywhere, on adverts, on uh, clothing, uh, on, in films even. Uh, the mantra is be true to yourself, and that's the way to salvation. Uh, if you're true to yourself, that's the way to true freedom. The tragedy with that is that the Bible says that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if we're true to ourselves, if we're true to every part of ourselves, what's going to flow out isn't going to be good. It's going to be evil. Uh, It reminds me of the story of the one. I hate this illustration because it makes you cringe, but it teaches, I think, the evil and the horror of sin. It reminds me of the story of the wolf, and I don't know if this really happened, um, but uh, we'll imagine it did. But apparently Eskimos, uh, when they were... I don't know about Eskimos, but people who live where wolves are. Uh, when they were hunting wolves, what they would do is they would stick a knife into the ice and they would uh, smear some blood on the blade of the knife. And I'm warning, this isn't, isn't pleasant. And the wolf apparently would come and lick the knife and uh, get a taste for the blood. But of course, the knife would cut its tongue and more and more blood. And the wolf, addicted to the taste of the blood, would lick and lick and lick until it bleed to death. Horrible illustration, isn't it? Makes us just feel... But that is kind of what the effect of sin is. We are addicted to the pleasures of sin. We think it's lovely. We think it's good. Uh, We can't resist the temptation. Uh, It makes us feel so good for a short time. But like the blood on that knife, it leads to our destruction and our death in the end. That's the terrible state that we are in as human beings. We are addicted to the thing which will destroy us, not just for a short time, but for eternity. That's how awful sin is. But Jesus came to save his people from their sins. We cannot save ourselves, but Jesus came that we might be made new that we might be given the power that we do not have in ourselves to fight the sin in our life, to release us from our addiction to our rebellion. I wonder this morning, do you want to be free? Do you want to be pure? Do you want to have a life which is marked more by love than it is by lust? A life 
flavoured with generosity more than greed, more by humility than pride. Do you want to be that sort of person? The Bible says there's good news because you can become that person through Christ. He can change your sin-twisted heart. He can make you new. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Through Christ, we can have a power that we do not have in ourselves because Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's the second reason why Christ being a saviour is such good news. But there's still more to salvation than that. Uh, and for this, we need to go uh, even later in the New Testament to the book of First Thessalonians, or Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 9. And this is uh, one of my favourite verses in the Bible. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake <coughs> or sleep, we should live together with him. The third and final thing uh, that Jesus saves us from, at least that we're going to look at this morning, is Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. Seeing that Jesus saves us from our enemies, Jesus saves us from our sin, but thirdly and lastly, Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. And as I just said, uh, the Bible does teach that sin is like a disease, but it's more than that. It's worse than that. Uh, because sin does not merely affect our bodies. Uh, sin affects who we truly are at the deepest level. Uh, sin is a disease of the soul, not just disease of the body. Uh, perhaps this illustration might help. Imagine uh, someone who's been born blind. Uh, that's tragic, isn't it? That's not that baby's fault. Uh, that baby had nothing to do with it being born blind. But the blindness of our sin is different in that it's like when we are born, we're not just born blind, but we're born poking our eyes out. Do you see the difference? Sin is not just something which affects, afflicts us, which comes at us. Sin is a choice we make. That's what I mean. It's disease at the deepest level. It's not just something we have like a disease. It's something we do. It's a choice we make. And for that reason, God is justly angry with us. Now, it'd be foolish, wouldn't it, to be angry at a baby who's born blind? It wasn't their fault. Uh, it'd be foolish to uh, be angry at someone for a disease where they bore no blame. But that's not the case with our sin. We do bear blame in our sin. We willingly choose to do evil and not to do good. If you see a tenner sticking out of someone's wallet, you have the choice to take it or leave it be. That is on you and on you 
alone. And if, to use that example, you take it, God's anger is rightly roused against you as you turn from him and go your own way. But many people uh, say things like, but what is the big deal? If God wants to forgive us, why can't he just forgive us? Yes, we do bad things sometimes, but why is God so angry? Uh, Surely it's out of proportion. Uh, A little lie here and there, uh, being a bit greedy, selfish. Does it really deserve the entire wrath of God? Well, let's go back again. Uh, to that story of Alan Lee Phillips. Remember, the man rescued from the snowdrift in the Colorado mountains. Uh, Let's just ask that question again, but ask it regarding Alan Lee Phillips, uh, John Alan Phillips, Alan Lee Phillips. Uh, Why couldn't the authorities just forgive him? It was so long ago, 40 years ago. Why can't we just let it be, let sleeping dogs lie? Now, if they did do that, there'd be an outcry, wouldn't there? I'd hope there'd be an outcry in your own heart. How can you just let someone off when they have murdered two people? Our heart cries out for justice on behalf of the victims. If Alan Lee Phillips was let off to live his life as freely as he chose, we would be furious we would be outraged at the injustice because it would be saying that the lives of Annette Schnee and Barbara Oberholzer, who were the people he murdered, it'd be saying that their lives did not matter. They were insignificant. His life is much more important. And it's the same if God was to forgive us. If God was just to sweep our sin under the carpet, if God was just to simply ignore it, he would be saying something infinitely more offensive. He'll be saying that our lies do not matter. He'll be saying that our evil does not matter. He'll be saying that every act of abuse doesn't matter. Every pain, every heartache caused by another person does not matter. In fact, he'd be saying, I'm okay with it. In fact, I think it's good. That's what God would be saying if he did not deal with our sin. But that's where Jesus comes in. Because as we all know, I'm sure, Jesus, when he was born in that manger, uh, didn't come into this world merely to live. Jesus came into this world to die. And 33 years later, he was crucified on a cross and the sky went black. And on that cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because on that cross, God poured out his wrath. God poured out his just anger against sin onto his son who bore it willingly. So now there is no question about the righteousness of God. There is no question what God thinks about sin. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, about abuse, about Uh, all the evils perpetrated in this world, look at the cross. That's what it costs. That's how much God hates sin. But what that means is, 
because God, because Jesus bore that wrath himself, we are free. If we trust in Christ, if we trust in that sacrifice, then there's no wrath left for us. We have been released from the condemnation. God is free to make us new. That's the third reason that Christmas is such good news. Because it saves us from the condemnation and the wrath of God. Jesus came into this world to take our sin on himself. But as I said, uh, I've said many times over this Christmas time, uh, that does not automatically happen. Jesus has died. He has taken the punishment on the cross. But we have to receive that gift. We have to accept that offer. We have to bow the knee to him, lay down our arms, uh, lay down our rebellion, and accept the wonderful gift that God gives. If we don't, then we are holding on to God's wrath. We are holding on to our condemnation. And we will justly reap the rewards of that when that judgment day comes. But none of us have to. None of us, sitting here this morning, ever have to endure a single millisecond in hell because of what Jesus has done. All we need to do is come to him. And as the Bible puts it in John's Gospel, those who received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. And I trust and I pray that no one here will fail to accept that wonderful offer. So those are the three things. And I'm sure there's many more. But those are the three things we've seen this morning that Jesus saves us from. First, he saves us from our enemies and he frees us to love and to forgive. Secondly, he saves us from our sin. He is able to make us pure. And thirdly, Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. So we no longer need to fear any more condemnation. And that's why I've chosen uh, as our last him, a very famous carol, perhaps the most famous carol, perhaps. Number 179, Silent Night, Holy Night. Uh, these words may not be true of the world roundabout, but they can be true of our hearts. They can be true of our lives in this world. Our lives can be silent and holy and calm because, as it says in verse 2, Christ, the Saviour, is born. So we'll close by singing number 100. And 79.